really excited to be preaching this morning um, because what I have is uh, we're just discontinuing for a short bit our series in Mark. Um, and I just uh, I felt uh, a few weeks ago before we traveled to um, Germany where we spoke at a conference there, I felt God give me this word which was for the conference. And as I was praying and thinking about it, I felt God say, no, but this is a word for Forest Town. So this comes out of a place of, of prayer and just sensing something of God's prophetic heart for the season. And I hope, talks and Eunice, that it will be a word for you. Um, I think just as I'm yeah, I didn't plan it that it was the day that, we, that you're going on, but uh, the title of what I want to share today is Behold, I am doing a new thing. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Um, so the first thing I want to speak about out of that passage, it's a, a line from Isaiah, and we'll look more closely at the passage in a short bit, is the first thing I want to say is that God is a maker and a creator. That is who he is. Uh, right from the beginning of the world, uh, before the world existed, God spoke things into being. It is in his nature to make and to create. He fashions things from nothing into things of great int intricacy and beauty and purpose. In fact, in Jeremiah 15, 51 verse 15, it says, he made the earth by his power, he established the world by his wisdom, and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. Isn't he marvelous? When you read something like that, you just want to, to begin to worship him, don't you? And again, in Genesis 14, verse 19, we see that the Hebrew word for creator is koneh. And this means not just someone who makes, but it also means possessor. God has not only made all created things, but they are his very own possession, his own dominion. And when we read the story of creation in Genesis, we see that as God completes each cycle of creation, he pronounces in the Hebrew, it says, it is tov, which means it is good. And on the final day, when he creates his pinnacle of creation, namely mankind, he says, it is very good. The man had a life that differed from the plants and the animals. He had been created in God's own image. We read that in Genesis 1 verse 27, which means that he possessed an everlasting spirit such as God has. He was designed to be like God, to fellowship with God, reason like God, and enjoy God forever. But we know the story, don't we? Sin and brokenness entered into God's created world when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and sought their independence from him. And they no longer trusted in his wisdom for them. And sadly, all of mankind has shared this malady, this tendency to feel self-reliant and to reject their maker, to disobey his call to fellowship with him. And the consequences are all around us even today. 
The beautiful earth that we were entrusted with to care for is in a crisis caused by pollution and the effects of global warming due to the exploitation of resources. And relationships play out in power struggles between the sexes, uh, the class systems, and race divides. We are struggles with um, what's happening in our political system to see this played out. Mental health plagues the Western world, while starvation and slavery are the day-to-day -day existence of the poor. Now, the nation of Israel, as God's chosen people, lived out their history in cycles of rebellion and exile, followed by repentance and restoration. And it's into this state of, of exile and captivity that we hear God begin to speak to the Israelites through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 43, verse 1. And he says these words, But now says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And it's as if in these very words, God is almost echoing what we hear in the Genesis story, in God's intent as their creator. God reminds them in the midst of their distress that he made them and that they are his very own possession. Therefore, they should not be afraid. Now, I don't know how many of you were able to come last week uh, when Dirk Muller was here and he gave some amazing talks, but at Sunday Night Cafe, he looked at the whole theme of slavery and how that pervades much of the imagery of the New Testament and how much of what it says to describe us as Christians is that we are slaves, that once we were slaves to sin and death, but then we were bought with a price, we were redeemed, and now we are slaves to righteousness, slaves to, to a good master, a compassionate, caring master called Jesus. And we see that same language, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've paid the price to take you out of slavery, made you my own, my own possession. So we do not need to fear, we have a good master. You see, when God created and made the world, he didn't step back and admire his beautiful masterpiece and then sort of dust his hands and say, well, I think I'll retire now, all that's done. Uh, let them get on with it as I've done a great job and I'll see how the rest plays out while I just look on. No, you see, God is actively involved in his creation, leading, guiding, intervening by his Holy Spirit. It was God's plan for the salvation of mankind that in sending Jesus, he not only engaged with his creation, but by being immersed in time and place so that he could be with us, but he forever changed the way that that we could relate to the Father by providing a way to restore fellowship that was once lost in the Garden of Eden. And he did that by sacrificing his very own son. And you see, even still today, God is at work through the Spirit. He is not passive, but he is doing marvelous creative deeds amongst us. He says, 
I am doing a new thing. If you carry on in chapter 43 of Isaiah, in verses 16 and 17, you see that uh, Isaiah reminds the people of how God came to their rescue when they were slaves in Egypt, and he takes them out of Egypt, and he delivers them from uh, being pursued by the Egyptians in the desert, and he takes them into the, the promised land. But we see in verses 18 and 19, he makes this very startling declaration. This is what Isaiah says. He says, remember not the former things. Don't dwell on the past. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And it's this section, this part, that I really want to focus on this morning. You see, the Israelites were told not to dwell on their past sins, or even not to dwell on how God came through for them before when they were slaves in Egypt. Because in this current difficulty that they found themselves in whilst they were in exile, he is saying that God is going to do something entirely different something that they've not comprehended or even considered before, something new. Remember not the former things, do not dwell on the past. And I really believe that God wants to speak that as a clear word to many today. Do not remember the former things, do not dwell on the past. And I like to think of an analogy of someone driving a car forward by constantly referencing the rearview mirror. Wouldn't that be a strange way to drive? I think the consequences would be quite catastrophic. Um, imagine uh, driving along and all you're looking at is what is going on behind and never where you're going ahead. And if you had to lead that way or make decisions that way, if we're constantly navigating by looking backwards, I think it's very difficult to find our way forwards. If we're constantly looking back at our past failures, they will always seem to disqualify us. If we're constantly looking back even at our past successes, then we just become content and settled and we may feel, well, I don't need to do anything differently. God's going to just carry on giving me success when actually maybe there's a new thing that he's stirring and that we don't just settle and become stagnant in that way. Because God says these words over us this morning, behold, I am doing a new thing. God even works our disappointments and our hardships to our good. You know that. One of the, the, the scriptures that has been so precious to us as a church family is Romans 8, 28. And I'm sure you can all quote it. What is it? I've just gone up my head. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> God, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And he doesn't say God works some things. 
You know, for us, we can rationalize, I can see how that will work for my good. But there's some terribly awful things that we cannot understand why that should happen in our lives. But God in his sovereignty says, I work all things because I am victorious. And I loved what Dirk said last week. He said, God is imperatum. He is the supreme victorious general. And when you go into battle with him, you're guaranteed of a victory. There might be skirmishes along the way, but the ultimate victory is his and therefore is yours. All things work towards our good. Now in that verse, um, Isaiah uses this, I know in, in English this is quite an old-fashioned word, he says, behold. We don't really talk about that. You don't say, behold that car over there. Behold that beautiful scenery. It's an old-fashioned word, which simply means to look or observe. And many of the translations, when you look how it's been written in the Bible, they actually put an exclamation mark after it, because it's as if Isaiah is trying to catch their attention. He's trying to draw them away from their downheartedness, to jolt them into listening to what he wants to say. You know, when God calls us to look and to observe, he asks us to put aside those things that absorb our focus and energy and to stop. I don't know about you, but stopping sometimes is the hardest thing for me. Busyness consumes me. But sometimes God says, behold. And he says, stop. Stop. And why does he do that? He calls us to pay attention, to listen to the voice of his Holy Spirit with a mindfulness and an alertness. Notice that with the Israelites, God doesn't wait for some perfect conditions as the right moments to announce the things that he wants to say to his people. He speaks to them right in the middle of their distress, right in the middle of their pain and their confusion. Sometimes, if you're like me, when you want to speak to someone, you may feel like you want to choose the right moment when things are easier and uncomplicated. But God speaks when things are not going well. Because he knows that sometimes when we have a broken heart, there is also a tender spirit that will listen and realize their need for God to intervene. What is it that God wants them to behold? What is it that he wants them to observe? He simply says, I am doing a new thing. As human beings, I think we all tend to be creatures of habit. Uh, we like things to be controllable and predictable. And we've been um, not amused, but we've enjoyed Sean in our, in our life group. And he came to life group the one week and he said he's decided that every Sunday he's going to sit in a different place so that he can meet different people. And we thought, oh, that's really great. And every week he comes and says, oh, I met this person and this person. Because as a, as a, like we are, we're creatures of habit, we tend to go to that seat. <laughs> and we go and sit there because that's maybe what's familiar for us. We, we tend to like doing that. Um, because sometimes we want to anticipate how things work out. Don't we all like the tried and tested techniques? If I do this, 
then this will happen. Uh, if I pray like this, then God must heal because that's what happened last time. And soon, slowly, and we just begin to rely on our programs, our order of service, and soon don't really need the Holy Spirit at all. But walking by the Spirit, whether it's in our times together or in our daily lives, means keeping our ears open, listening to the leading of His Holy Spirit, hearing Him whisper, Behold, I am doing something new. God loves the new because it's in his nature to be dynamic and creative. He himself does not change, nor does his written word, but when he moves by his spirit, he makes things new. Think of all the things that are mentioned in God's word of him doing new things, and I thought I'd just go and have a look uh, of all the new, wherever the word new is used, in the Bible of the new things that God does, and I'm just gonna mention them, I'm not gonna go into depth, but he says in Ezekiel 11, verse 19 to 22, that new heart, I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take out your stony heart and give you a heart of flesh, that you may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. Isn't that wonderful? Have you ever had a cold heart that's just mean, unloving, begrudging, like a Scrooge? God says he comes and gives us a new heart, a new spirit within us. He says in Hebrews 9 verse 15, he gives us a new covenant of grace. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. And I know that's quite wordy, but again, there's the slavery language. We have been redeemed from one uh, jurisdiction, one system of slavery and bondage to sin and to death. And Christ has paid the price to set us free and bring us into a new covenant, one of grace with our heavenly Father. Us. A new wine and a new wineskin. It says, but new wine must be put into new wineskins. Um, this parable that Jesus gives of the new wine and the old wineskins, I think that's about when we begin to understand what it means to live in this covenant of grace, and we begin to live in the freedom that God gives us. That means that once we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we don't go back to those old wineskins of living under rules and legalism and controlling, stifling ways. We begin to live and walk in a new place with a new paradigm and a new understanding of God's ways. It says in 2 Corinthians, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Jesus doesn't just patch us up when we come to him. We are made a completely new person. Uh, there's a new heaven and a new earth. 
Uh, I love how Isaiah says, I'm not sure exactly the verse, but he says that the earth will wear out like Aren't we seeing that happen? The earth will wear out like an old garment. You know, we, we do feel shocked, and we should be, by the way that our earth is being treated and we see what's happening around us. But all those centuries ago, it was foretold that there would be a wearing out of this beautiful planet that we live on. And that's not to excuse our abuse of it. But there is a sense that God gives hope. He promises us that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and uh, that we are to, in, to look forward to that. And then he says in Psalm 40 verse three, David says these words, he puts a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. When, when I was at university, I kind of went through a phase in my life where I, uh, I backslid a bit from the Lord. I, I didn't really go to church much. I was in a relationship with a guy that was, he, he wasn't a Christian. And I just, um, one of the things I noticed during that season in my life was that I stopped singing. I stopped singing. But when I came back to realizing my father's love for me and how much he cherished me, one of the things I started doing was singing again. I would sing in the shower, sing in the car, and even now my family say, oh, there she goes. <laughs> but he gives us a new song when we understand what he's done for us, when we look back and we see our, our brokenness and our need of him, we, we are able to sing with a new song. You see, God cannot help himself. It is in his DNA to do new things. He loves it. He loves doing new things in your life. He says that even if plan A doesn't work, and many of you have said, I had a plan A for my life. If plan A doesn't work, God says, well, I'm working on plan B for your life, and it's gonna be even more glorious than plan A. Can you believe that? That is the God that we serve. He's doing a new thing. Walking by the Spirit means keeping in step with Him, not falling back into prescribed patterns, programs, and paradigms. Has God recently begun to unsettle the neat boxes of how you see him and how things should be. That's because he's getting us ready for the new things. It starts with a little bit of an unsettling. And I believe that God is changing paradigms. He's unsettling our well-formed ways of doing things because there is something afoot. Something is about to break in the spiritual realms that is gonna be released here on earth. I know that sounds like really good prophetic language, doesn't it? That's what you should say when you're being <laughs> prophetic. But I do wanna say, I really feel a stirring within me that there is something babbling of God doing something in this community that he's wanting to release. 
I believe God's even going to change the things that we look back to and referenced as our, our things. Oh, that's how things should be. He's going to start to change our perspective and our heart because he's creating something new. And the tides are changing. I believe God's going to bring new strategies, even for people in their businesses in in different contexts, there's going to be new strategies. I believe God's going to bring connections of new relationships. God's going to bring people into your lives uh, that he's just going to strategically and divinely bring connections. And I believe that is for his kingdom purposes. Uh, I believe that there's going to be new levels of fruitfulness, that there's been seasons of just working hard and plowing and plowing. But I'm speaking today, there's going to be success. I believe God is going to bring new fruitfulness in your places of work, in your relationships, in the things that he's called you to do, in the things that he's put in your heart. You thought, I can't see how this is happening. I've been sticking at this for so long. This is going to be the season of breakthrough. And there's also going to be a season of new reliance on the Holy Spirit because there's going to come a new boldness too. When I've been praying and asking God, what does this new thing look like? And I, I never want to define that because God is, <laughs> well, we can't put our label onto what that looks like. But I've, I've just been sensing such a, a thing that God is doing a new sense of organic evangelism. It's going to be the natural kind of evangelism of the conversations that we have with our neighbors, with someone on the bus, with, with those moments where we begin to just have an opportunity to share with people. And it's going to become natural to, to, to talk about Jesus, not something we've got to summon up our courage, but it's going to be something that's the overflow of the new thing that God is doing in us. And I just want to end off in the last 10 minutes to look at Something of what Isaiah continues to expound in those verses of what he says this new thing is like. And it says, if you go to the next slide, um, it, it says, notice that the new thing that God speaks of through Isaiah is that it will spring forth. You might be wondering why there's a picture of ant. <laughs> the Hebrew word for spring forth from that passage in Isaiah is titzmach. And it comes from the words that are used to describe when plants slowly spring up from nowhere. We, we recently have had lots of um, fungus and mushrooms growing all over the fields where we live. They weren't there the day before, and then suddenly you will go for a walk, and there's just hundreds of them everywhere. It's the word that's used for hair sprouting from a man's beard. I was thinking of someone with a really nice beard. <laughs> so I chose Ant. Yes. It's like what? You go to bed and you're cleanly shaven. Next morning, you've got all this hair coming out your face. But that wasn't an overnight growth, was it? <laughs> but there's a, there's a sense in which the way that, it's, that that word spring forth, it wasn't there. And then suddenly you see these bursts bursts of life. It has an, it's also got a connotation of an abundance and a sense of fertility. Uh, there was nothing, and suddenly there are buds on the trees and flowers in the fields. That is how God works. It's a new thing. That is how the kingdom of God is. It's like 
a slow rising tide. It's like when the dark morning begins to change when the sun rises. Some of you, the sun is going to rise in your lives. It's been a dark morning. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Slowly but steadily, God is doing a new thing. And then Isaiah asks these simple words. He says, do you not perceive it? Can't you see what I'm doing in front of you? Are you so consumed with the past? Or have you become skeptical amidst your struggle that you can't discern the new work I'm doing in your midst? And then Isaiah gives this picture language to help them understand what the new thing is like. When God speaks prophetically to his people, we see this in the Old Testament, he uses pictorial language and images to help convey spiritual truths, but it's also to impress upon them that in their memory a visual reminder of his promise to them. When you see a picture, you, th you remember it so much more clearly. And so what he says in Isaiah, he goes on and he says, the new way is like, this new thing is like a way in the wilderness and like a river in the desert. One of the, the noticeable things about a barren landscape is that there are very few landmarks or well-worn tracks to guide you to where you need to walk. It's just a bleak, plain area. And when God does a new thing, suddenly what you felt was unclear about where to go or which direction to take, God springs forth, titzmach, a clear path, a certain way ahead that was not there before. Perhaps you're feeling directionless in your career, or you need to find a strategy for your business, or maybe you need wisdom to help your teenage children or help in making a life choice. God says to you in the midst of your struggle, stop and see what I am doing. I will make a way for you. I will make a way for you. And then he says these other words. He says, like a river in the desert. And we know generally rivers do not flow in deserts. That's why they're called deserts. Isn't that true? It's an incongruity. Something that does not usually go together. Don't usually talk about rivers and deserts in the same sentence. When God does a new thing by his spirit, he makes things that are naturally impossible or unlikely come about in a most miraculous way. When there is a supernatural move of God, his anointing on a person or work an abounding fruitfulness and power that is incongruous with what you might think should be happening in that place or in that context. God's new thing brings him glory because only he could do what he does. And when we get to partner with him and share in the breakthrough and release of grace and salvation that God works in our midst, we also share in his joy and in his glory. And so I want to end this morning by asking you a question and making a statement. God is doing a new thing. Do you perceive it? Do you perceive it?
Now, I don't know what God has been speaking to you while I've been sharing these words. There might be different things for different people. But I felt that would be appropriate just to, we're going to break bread um, in a short while. But I just thought it would be appropriate just to respond to three areas. That's maybe you want to say, God, I want to avail myself of all that you are speaking to me this morning. And the first thing I wanted to speak about was I want to pray for people where you feel like you're constantly looking back. The past has become almost like a chain to stop you moving forward. I believe God wants to set you free this morning from making the past define you and define where you're going. Because it doesn't, it's the Lord that does. And the second thing I want to pray for is for those who really feel like they need a way in the wilderness. You really feel that you need something supernatural like a desert. I mean, no, not like a desert, that you need a river. <laughs> you need a Who needs a desert? <laughs> no, but God sometimes takes us into deserts. But that he would come with his supernatural intervention and spring forth with clarity, the things that he is speaking and showing you. And then the third thing I want to pray is for those who feel, God, I just need eyes of faith to see what you're doing, because it's really hard to see what you're doing. And one of the ways I believe that we cultivate eyes of faith is we start saying thank you in anticipation. We already begin to say, Father, Thank you that you've got this in hand. Thank you that this doesn't make sense to me, but it makes sense to you. Thank you, God, that you've spoken these promises over my life, and just because I can't see them now doesn't mean they're not going to happen. Your timing is perfect. Because uh, when I was in the worship time, I thought we've got all these beautiful autumn trees that are losing their leaves um, around where we live, and I'm sure where you are as well. And God just reminded me, for some here, you're in the autumn season. You're losing some leaves. There's a, there's a letting go. But God is saying, it's only because something else is about to spring forth. I don't leave you in a barren place. I'm about to spring forth something of my, my good purposes. So what I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask that we do. Um, could I ask the worship? team. Would you mind coming up? That would be wonderful. Um, and we're going to just, I'm going to ask if you guys can just play, but I'm going to ask that we stand maybe in response. I'll read those three things again. Just stand where you are if you feel you want to respond. Um, you know, sometimes we might feel, oh, I don't want to be everyone to see I'm standing, but actually it does, it's not about anyone else. It's about us doing business with God. I think, I think if I had to stand this morning, I would stand for the thing of, God, help me to have eyes of faith to see what you're doing. So I know I'm standing already, but I'll be standing for that. I don't know what you want to stand for, um, but I'm going to just invite you. If you feel that you keep looking back and God's saying, look forward, look at what I'm doing, or if you feel, God, I need a way in this wilderness, or if you feel that, God, I need eyes of faith to see what you're doing, then I'm going to ask you just to stand, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to worship together and then break bread. Thank you, Lord.
Oh God, you see every heart here this morning. You, you see our need for you. Lord, we come and without you, we cannot do this thing. We cannot do life. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for taking us out of that place of brokenness, of being a slave to selfishness and sin. Thank you for being a good master to us. Thank you that we're made in your image to bring you glory. So, Father, we do. We want to run to your cross. We want to run to your table this morning. We want to ask, Lord, that as you're doing a new thing in our lives, that we would lay our burdens at the cross, those things that displease you, that where we've sinned, we, we ask, Lord, for your forgiveness just to flood through our hearts this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the confidence that we can have, that we can draw close to your table, knowing that you're a good father, that your promise to us is that you have dealt once and for all with sin. And just as your body was broken and you took bread, you said, this is my body broken for you. And that means for each of us. And your blood, after, this, after supper, you took the cup and said, this is my blood poured out for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And so we simply acknowledge those things that are in our lives that need your hand, that need your forgiveness. And we ask, Lord, that as we come this morning and remember your cross, we thank you for the forgiveness that is ours. And we pray that you'd unblock what is blocked, that your Holy Spirit might flow, that rivers might come, that we might know the new thing that you're doing in all of our lives. And so, Lord, we look forward with confidence because of your grace because of your kindness, because of your mercy upon our lives. And we eat and drink now with grateful hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.